There's one thing about human beings. Uh, we are drawn to something more than just our physical existence. Oftentimes we get preoccupied with our physical existence, our bodies, our health, uh, the things that we seek and touch and feel. But when you really get down to it, it's clear that human beings want something more than that. Um, we have a desire for purpose in life. That's a lot of questions. You know, what's my purpose? What's my cause? What am I, what am I living for? Um, and then there's all kinds of other questions that people ask um, that are out there that are like philosophical questions, kind of like what's life and how did it begin? What happens after you die? Is it possible to live forever? What's reality? What's consciousness? And then one of my favorites is, will we ever have a theory for everything? That's a great thing of mankind. We want to understand and grab a hold of everything and be able to put it all in a nice little box. All those kinds of questions that people ask indicate that people really do um, are interested in much more than just the physical things that we encounter in life. Um, I asked a question this morning. What if I could offer all of us here this morning, or every, everybody actually, but you're here listening, all of us here that are listening, something that would have guaranteed results in answering those kinds of questions and meeting those deepest needs of our heart, uh, filling that void, giving us answers, um, fulfilling that purpose or that desire for those purposes. And like I said, something that would guarantee results. And we live in a world, too, that used to be a guarantee was a guarantee. If somebody said, I guarantee it, like in other words, you take something home and it has, comes with a guarantee, that meant if, so, if something ever went wrong with it, you'd take it back. Well, now we have these wonderful things called limited lifetime warranties, which who knows what they cover. All right? When I talk about a guarantee here, I'm not talking about a limited lifetime warranty. I'm talking about a guarantee. When God guarantees something, it's a guarantee that you can bank on, that you can actually really trust and know it's true. Um, I want you to hold that idea of a guarantee in your mind because we're actually going to come back to it at the very, very end of the message today. We're going to build all the way through that about a guarantee that we can have as human beings that there is something out there that really will meet those needs and answer our questions. It's going to take the rest of the message this morning to actually work our way through some things to get to the spot where we can say that. I'm making it ahead of time. There's a guarantee out there, um, but we have to work our way through the processing it. Um, I want to say this right now. I'll kind of give you the answer to that. The Word of God comes with a guarantee. The Word of God found in the Bible comes with a guarantee. Now, as I say that and then work at some other challenges this morning, my encouragement to you and my challenge to you is, again, like we have every week for a while, is remain open-minded because I just made a really bold claim right there. The Word of God is a, has a guarantee, and we talked about the fact that it's going to meet all those needs that are inside of us. Um, so I ask you, please don't shut me out. Please don't stop listening because I made a bold-faced claim that has no backing. I'm going to give you some of that stuff and build that. Um, don't stop reasoning. Don't stop considering what's being said. In fact, if anything, hopefully grab your attention. I want you to turn those things on and follow what's being said this morning. There's a scripture that says this in Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, we're going to take the balance of our message this morning off of just the, for the word of God is living and active. We're not going to go any further than that. Just like last week. So we've left another verse with a second half of it that we'll come back to in future weeks to talk about that. But I want to talk about this idea of the word of God being living and active. And this first thing we're going to start, we're going to look at another Greek word this morning. When it talks about the word of God at the beginning of that and claims the word of God, it's talking about a Greek word called logos. 
And there's a lot of English words which we're not going to go into, logo and a lot of different things that come from the Greek word logos. But the Greek word logos starts out with this idea. At the heart of logos, at the heart of the word of God, if you will, the Greek word logos, at the heart of it is a concept of intelligence. There's a baseline intelligence there. And the logos has that baseline intelligence, but the second part of it is then a word or an expression that expresses that intelligence. Intelligence. So you've got the idea, like again, too, is we speak words, and those words are an expression of the intelligence we have, what goes on between our ears. And when we talk about the Word of God, what we actually have is God has this intelligence, if you will, using a human term, and the Word of God is the expression of His intelligence, His thoughts and ideas. Um, let's go a step further with this. I'm going to make another claim. Notice what I got here, not God has, but God is life, God is wisdom, and God is truth. If you were to read through the Bible in its entirety, you will find many spots where there are times when we often talk about that, you know, well, God brings light. Well, God is light. God is, brings life. Well, God is life. There's something of this idea of life and wisdom and truth that are actually a part of God's nature himself, if you will. Um, and so when we talk about life, when we talk about wisdom, and when we talk about truth, in whatever circle that is, it can be in a, in a spiritual sense or even in a, in, a, in a worldly sense or a secular sense, when we talk about that, all we're really looking at is the fact that, the fact that God is, is those things. All that happens is there is each one of those things actually have their source in God himself. And all that we do when we discover things and feel like we we understand life or that we have wisdom or we, or we have the truth, all we have done is stumbled upon something that has existed forever because God is eternal. And so we've stumbled upon something, this long-lost, we would call long-lost truth. We've just discovered something or stumbled upon something that's actually God himself and a part of him. Now, the Bible itself contains God's wisdom, it contains God's life, and it contains God's truth. Now, when I say the Bible, I'm not talking about just the printed words on a page. If you, pick, if you have your Bible with you and you pick it up and hold on to it, there's an awful lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of words in there. There's, there's papers, and depending on what kind you have, the thinness of the page, and you have ink, and you might have a red-letter version, and you may have, have underlined and things like that. When I talk about this idea that the Bible contains those things, I'm not talking about just the printed word on a page. It's, it's actually the truth and the life and the wisdom that those words contain. Because there are, again, I think I already mentioned this a few weeks ago, some people view the Bible as it is precious and it is treasured, but the printed part of it is no different than any other book that's ever been written. It's run on a publishing house, prints it just like they do anything else. All right? And we need to realize that so... Some people say that you should never let it touch the ground or, or don't get it dirty or by all means never, never make a mistake and step on it. What we're actually then is we're putting value on a physical thing and it's not. This is a spiritual book full of spiritual wisdom. All right? And the words that are in there and the thoughts they contain, the ideas they contain, are an expression of God. They actually reveal and, de and declare who He is. They reveal and declare the truth about spiritual life, if you will. 
The book is just full of examples about things that help us to understand God. It's full of information and ideas and thoughts that let us know about what spiritual life is and how to get it or how to lose it, if you will. This book instructs us on how we can, tells us all about how we can relate to God, how we can have a relationship with our Creator. It tells us all kinds of information there too, how we can be close to Him. It tells us not just close, but even getting how we can have intimate fellowship with Him. It also tells us in very good detail what kind of things we could do that would separate us from Him. That's, it has just as much of stuff on there, how to separate yourself from Him as how to be connected to Him. This book, if you'll let it, has the answers that we're all looking for. It really does. It has the answers to what we're looking for, to the deepest things that mankind, that you and I long for, the answers are in there. It's a matter of finding them and mining them out and applying them. Now, let's talk about a second to the Word of God. We've talked about the Bible in that sense, but I want to make another statement. Inspired people declare the Word of God. Now, that does necessarily that the words of a human being who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, does that have the same credence, the same weight as the Bible? Only if what the person says is backed by what the Bible has to say. Otherwise, we could find ourselves running down a thing there with anybody that claims to have heard from God or claims to be inspired of God could say whatever they want. Well, the test is we actually have God's truth here. So when someone claims to be inspired of God or has something they believe the Lord has told them to share with, with another person or a group of people, it better find its source in the Bible. It better match up to what Scripture has to say. But I want to say that because in the church throughout history, there have been times where this idea that this is all we have and it's all we need. That's a very isolationist, very narrow point of view. God, even in the New Testament when this was being written and the letters were written, they still gained insight from one another. God still spoke to people individually in their heart outside of the Bible, but it matched up what the Bible said, and God actually inspired people to speak and tell truth that supported what the Bible had to say that was matched up. So please realize, too, that the Word of God, as much as we're talking about the Bible, it's possible that you and I can be inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak the words of God. And I'm not talking about just quoting a verse. I'm talking about sharing the wisdom of God, sharing the truth of God, sharing the life of God because our words are inspired because the Spirit is, in, is compelling us to say those things. But they will always match up with what Scripture has to say. Okay, moving on. This passage tells us that the Word of God is living. And now we're going to break that apart. What does it mean that the Word of God is living? Well, obviously, it's, it's, it's not. Obviously, this book and the words on the page and even the ideas are not breathing physical breath. It's talking about the, the, the word, not the words, they're not the printed words, not the ink on the page, but the, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the life of God as found in there is spiritually alive. And the other thing I like about this term, now this is something that's very important you catch because we all would get that. Well, yeah, I see that. It's spiritually alive. But look at what it says here too. It also 
the idea of living is it also causes people to be spiritually alive. And you say, well, how is that the case? Is it splitting hairs? Not necessarily. If we're not careful, we can just realize that, say, oh, the Bible is living. It's alive spiritually. But you've got to realize, bringing alongside that, that those words cause people to be spiritually alive as well, which we'll get to towards the end and tie that, to tie that up. Okay? Another term that's used to help us understand that is this idea of it animates. It animates. And I want you to think for a second of animation. Okay? Have you ever taken a pad of paper and drawn the stick figures with a little bit of change each time and then you flip through them and your stick figure actually starts to run? I've not, I can't, I'm not a good enough artist to do that, but my brother Ben used to do that. You'd come across mom's sticky notes or a book somewhere and he had done his stick figure thing in there and then you flip it through and you know, the guy would do a flip or he'd throw a ball or whatever else. What it did is it took these, these, these single pictures of stick figures and by putting them together in a thing and then flipping through them, they actually, if you will, come to life. They actually start to move. Mere drawings, any cartoon starts with mere drawings that in a sense are actually they're you know it's 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 an illusion if you will they're actually just a set of drawings that are actually lifeless but when the animator does his work of taking all those drawings and they put them together and then run them through film those characters come to life and then it goes beyond that think about think about they're trying to first off for old timers think about bugs bunny bugs bunny actually <laughs> You've got to realize Bugs Bunny is a two-dimensional character, a two-dimensional character that never has had any life whatsoever, but Bugs Bunny has a personality. You know what I'm saying? Think about that and how that, that's, that's the magic, if you will, of animation. It takes something that was just a, a sketch of a, a rabbit and through animation and working, and that brings this thing to life that we understand. You could do the same thing with SpongeBob which I don't know if I've ever watched, but that's beside the point. But SpongeBob and Scooby-Doo, you think of, of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, and you could just start going off in your mind all the things they say to each other and the crazy things that happen in their, their van and all those things. are All those things are two-dimensional drawings that the magic of animation brings them to life, and they actually bring personality to the point where we actually recognize the characters and how they interact with one another, almost as if they're alive. And that word animation, animates, is what it's, that's the word that's used to help us to understand this idea that the Word of God is living. So the sense that the Word of God is doing what? Taking something that's, it's there, it's got the pieces, it's, it's, it, but it's, it's not alive until the Word of God comes in, that, that life-giving aspect of God comes in and makes it pop to life and gives it personality and makes it do things it's supposed to do. The Word of God has the power to bring people to spiritual life. Okay? Another one is this idea of enlivening. And the best thing in the enlivening is it uses this other example of jump-starting. Okay? When a person, with, you know, I guess I try to use the correct medical term as they would use in the hospital, when a person codes, which means their heart rate goes flat, they get the crash cart and they get what, those paddle things there and you know, clear and, and they shock them. The whole idea there is they're trying to what? Jump start the heart to get it going again. Send an electrical current through to try to jump start it. 
Um, we probably have a lot more experience when you go out in the morning and the dreaded you turn your key and all you get is a click, 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 or you turn your key and nothing. And then you're like in a scramble mode because you have to do what? Jump start your car. And in order to jump start the car, what do you got to do? You either have to have a, uh, you have to have a power source. It can be another car, it can be another battery, whatever it happens to be, but you've got to have a power source, what, to, and you take those cables and you hook them all up. If you make your connections right and the power source is strong enough, it will what? Jump start your car, and then the car does what it's supposed to do. It will charge its battery back up if the battery is still good. So we have these different examples, again, this idea of jump starting. Ready? The Word of God has the power to boost a person's spiritual life, or if it's totally dead, to jump start it back to life again. Either way, the Word of God has that power. Then another word we have here is the word quicken. And that's just a kind of a reiteration of the same thing. It, the Word of God has the power to cause a person to spring to spiritual life, if you will. Same thing we've been talking about. Now let me give you some other um, uh, synonyms that they would use for this idea of living. Ready? The Word of God spiritually uplifts. It spiritually vitalizes. It spiritually invigorates. It spiritually restores. It spiritually revives. It spiritually refreshes. It spiritually rejuvenates. It spiritually re-energizes. It spiritually stimulates. It spiritually boosts. <clears throat> it spiritually exhilarates. Spiritually arouses. It spiritually excites. And there's more. You could go on, but you get the idea. <clears throat> there's an awful lot in that concept of living where we just think if it's living, it's breathing, or it has what we would, this, this mystical thing of life. When they're using the word living, there's a much broader, broader meaning in that. Okay, the second thing that the Scripture tells us there is that the living, the Word of God is active. <clears throat> okay? Let me ask you a question to start out with. Can you be alive and be inactive? Let that sink in for a second. Can you be alive and be inactive? Well, <clears throat> in one sense, no. In one sense, yes. If you're alive, there are things actively going on in your body, aren't there? Your heart's beating. There's all kinds of physical things going on in your body for life. But you can be inactive doing nothing. This says the, living God, the Word of God is active. Okay? Again, these, even, even, we're again, not talking about just the printed words and the ink, but the words and the truth and the life and the wisdom then in them are just not inanimate thoughts or ideas that are stuck in a book. Okay, they're active. They're powerful. They're effective. And this idea of effectiveness, we'll go a step further. Ready? The Word of God being active is success. And that's interesting. It says, it, it doesn't say it can be, or it may be, it says it is successful. That's an important delineation to make because when we say they may be or they can be, we trap them in the book. We trap them. But God says about his word, it is successful in producing a desired or an intended result. <clears throat> the truth and the wisdom and the life that's found in the word of God causes a desired 
something that's desired or something that's anticipated to happen. And I ask this question there, according to who? According to God. He's the one that determines what the desired outcome is, what the intended result is, and what is success. But he says about his word that it is successful in doing the things that he intends and that he desires and that he wants. Now there's a couple of, uh, remember we said last week too, when you're looking at trying to understand a Greek word because it's not the language we speak in. I've gone through and kind of given you the definition of living and active and the word of God. But when it comes to the word active, there's a step further in, in, in reading this week where they take you to not just what the literal Greek translation into English would be, but then they went into what I would what they say extra biblical sources, which means they went to around the time that the Bible was written, they took that word for active, the Greek word for active, and looked for its usage in other Greek writings. <clears throat> and they came up with a couple other examples that seemed to bring a good word picture to us. The first one is this about being active. They give the, the example of freshly plowed land. So think about that for a second. Now, if you're not, we're, we're fortunate we were in farmland, but maybe you don't have farming background. Even though you have, like if you look out the window to your, to, your, to your right, you've got our grass, then you have a farmer's field over that's brown, but that's not plowed field. That still has the remnants of the, the dead grass in it and stuff and the roots in it. Plowed field would be, and even over there, if you look to your left, in the distance you can see an, a cornfield over there where the stalks are stone, that's not plowed either. Plowed field is what? When they run the tractor down through the plow and it does what? It takes it and flops it over, so now the... The grass and the roots are where? Down below, and you have what? Dirt on the top. And they say this, that the, the, this word of active is like a freshly plowed land, and an extra phrase, that's ready for cultivation. When it says that the word of God is active, it's actually equating it to like a field that's been plowed and is ready for cultivation. What does that mean? It's prepared and ready to be used to raise a crop. It's, uh, it's ready, it's, it, when, when land is plowed, it's ready to foster the growth of fruit or vegetables or some kind of a crop. And what this is trying to tell us is that the Word of God actually prepares us, like a farmer does by plowing the soil, it prepares us to be ready to be used in the production of spiritual fruit or a spiritual crop. The Word of God has, being active, prepares us to receive spiritual seed. Like I, and this is hard too because when the Bible was written, there was no such thing as no-till. Now, one of the latest things is you save fuel and all that stuff there where you could go over to that field over there. If you spray it with enough chemicals to kill everything off of it, you have this thing that will implant the seeds into the hard soil and it will grow. Back in this day, nobody would ever thought of doing that because you didn't get a crop. You always had to, what, turn the soil over and prepare it for the seed. The Word of God prepares our hearts for the implantation of spiritual seeds which bring forth spiritual life and spiritual fruit. Now, a second example. There's three of them that I came across. The second one of being active is like this. Ready for this one? And let let your mind go. And it's a little bit hard because we don't have them anymore, but a mill in working condition. And you have to think now, not about today, an idea of a mill, because up in Adam's Center, there's a, a feed mill. 
but it's not the mill they're talking about. We talk about a mill because all they do up there, I think, is take commodities and mix them together, and that's it. A mill, when this was written, was what? It was a spot where you took your harvest, your wheat, or your, if it was corn or whatever you grew, you took it to the mill and it did what? It crushed it and ground it into what? Flour. And the example here is that it's a mill in working condition. What does that mean? A mill in working condition is all ready for someone to bring grain or a harvest in and grind it up into flour. Now, why do you have to grind it into flour? Now, you could eat the wheat seed or you could eat the corn seed, but do you realize that if you don't, it's kind of gross, but if you don't crack corn, it does what? It goes right straight through your body and does absolutely nothing. Same thing for cattle. We're used to that in the farming. If, if when a farmer harvests their corn crop, if they don't crunch those individual kernels on the cob, it has no food value whatsoever. It will pass completely through untouched. All right? This idea that a mill ready to take, gr take grain and grind it into flour so it can actually be used for something like what? Making bread or making cakes. And what this is telling us is the Word of God is prepared and ready to take spiritual truth and grind it and process it so we can take it in and digest it in life. You say, well, well, the Bible already contains truth, but there's something amazing about the Bible is in itself it is ready to take truth, God's truth, and help us to what? Crush it all up into a spot that we can ingest it spiritually or make things out of it spiritually, if you will. <clears throat> the Word of God is prepared and ready to take, for, to, ready, ready for us to, to uh, as spiritual people, I guess I'll take this again. The Word of God is prepared and ready to take us as spiritual people and grind us into something. This is the other thing I do. Not just the truth itself, but the, the Word of God is actually ready to take you and I, God's fruit, if you will, His harvest, and crush us and break us and make us into something that's spiritually nourishing for other people. It's not that people actually eat us, but if we are inspired of God and working with Him and the Word of God, the active Word of God has its way in us, what it actually does is it actually crushes us into a usable form where when we speak and spend time with other people, it actually feeds them spiritually. What actually happens, it unlocks the things that God has placed in us and allows other people to, to take part in that, if you will. <clears throat> the, fourth one, the, third, the third example is drugs which are effective in bringing a cure. It's interesting. <laughs> Back in the time that this was written, if I used the word drug, most likely would have had, only in rare existence, it would have had a negative connotation. But when I use the word drug today, it's immediately illegal. So I almost have to use the word medicine. Okay, because we have in our culture and the way modern world, it's all fun. <clears throat> but this idea of a medic, medical drug that's effective in bringing a cure. <clears throat> I have to take a blood thinner every day so I don't get clots in my leg. Okay, Now, those pills sit in my cupboard in a pill bottle or in my great thing to try to help me to remember. I'm trying very hard to remember to take my pills every day and I don't do very good at it all the time, but trying. 
Now, those pills, <clears throat> they're ready. They are ready to be ingested and effectively bring about healing or to keep me from getting a clot. This is telling us that the Word of God is like a drug that is ready for humans to do what? To take it in. And as it's taken in, that Word of God, just like a pill, it will automatically do its work once it's taken in, once it's ingested. And so that we're saying here that the Word of God is ready to be ingested by a human being, and when it is done that, it's effective to bring spiritual healing, body, soul, and spirit, and mind. The idea that our deepest longings, it actually meets those needs and takes care of our problems, if you will. Now, like I said, we get to the spot here, and now we can go back to the guarantee part. Back to the guarantee part. Now, one of the things as we looked at the definitions of the Word of God being living and active, one of the things that came out was this idea of it was uh, to meet a desired, uh, it was successful in, 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 in performing a desired or anticipated action. Okay? <clears throat> or a result. Or it causes something that's desired or anticipated. Um, or preparing to produce what? A desired crop. or the power to bring about the desired healing. My question for everybody in the room this morning is I ask you a question. Um, just a second here. Okay. What is your heart? And when I say heart, not the thing that goes pitter-patter and is beating, but your inner man, way down in here that nobody knows about. That part that nobody ever knows about unless you really let them in there. We're in that spot deep down in here, what is that part of you longing for? What's it longing for? What's it seeking after? What's it desiring? What is it anticipating or looking forward to in the future? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, we can live in a culture where we're not in tune very often to our inner man because one of the things that can 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 break our being in tune to our inner man or our heart if you will is busyness and noise and chaos and stress all the things that seem to be growing in our world actually i believe what we have is we have an enemy that's trying to keep us from focusing at all on what's going on deep down inside he's trying to keep us looking at the superficial the things that we can smell touch and feel the things like, oh my goodness, I've got to get my car fixed tomorrow. Oh boy, I've I, you know, got to pay my bills tomorrow. And all those things are real, but we have so much of the stuff that's swallowing us. You know, I've got I to study for my test tomorrow, or I have to, you know, I have to be at the game at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, or all those different things. There's just a myriad of stuff that comes at us, and that stuff can all interfere with us having any connection at all with what's really going on deep down inside. And so I ask the question, quiet ourselves long enough at times. What is your inner man? The part that's made in the image of God, deep down inside, what is he longing for? What is she anticipating? What is he seeking? What is she desiring? And I'm going to give you a scripture. We read it last week. Look at it again. With that in mind, what you're seeking, desiring, deep down in here, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and, fur, uh, bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will accomplish 
what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is what God is saying. He's making a statement that the words that have come out of his mouth, ready, that are, it's here. It's also sometimes when he inspires somebody to speak. Those words, the word of God, it, he said it will accomplish what God desires, what he desires. It will achieve the purpose for which he sent that truth or that bit of wisdom out for. And he uses an example here. Ready? As the rain and snow come down from heaven. Without rain and without snow, what happens to crops? What happens to grass? Well, you say, well, no, we can irrigate. If rain and snow stop, you can irrigate for a while, but after a while, you will run out of water, period. And isn't it interesting, he says, the rain and the snow come down from heaven. They don't return to the heavens. And isn't it interesting, God has actually given us what we know is true. What? Rain falls, and then it does what? It evaporates back up again. But in its evaporating back up again, it's in that process of coming down and going back up, it has achieved exactly what he said, which is what? Making it possible and helping seeds to grow to plants, to be harvested provide what seed for the sower and food for the mouth and that's what he's saying is true about his word it comes down to you and i it goes back to him but in that process it produces and achieves what he set forth to have it do and here's a quote i came across this week the wisdom truth and life of god found in his words contain a potency when unleashed, successfully accomplishes its purpose. Let me read that again. The wisdom, the truth, and the life of God found in his words contains a potency which, when it's unleashed, successfully accomplishes its purpose. This book, again, not the ink on the page and not the pages itself, but the truth, the wisdom, and the life found here contains what you and I need what you and I need. It contains the answers to the deepest questions that you and I have. Actually, it holds the answers to the deepest questions that any human being that lives has. The book contains that which will satisfy the deepest longings inside of us. That part where no... <coughs> you may have longings in your heart that you've never told anybody. Oftentimes we have things, and I'm not talking about deep, dark secrets we don't want to know, but longings or desires that we just don't share with people. Because sometimes they're very hard to get a handle on. We just know there's a yearning inside of us that sometimes it's hard to put words to. The truth, the wisdom, and the life that's found in Scripture will satisfy that longing. The truth found in the book will cause us to find what we're seeking, like a treasure hunt. You read through it, you're exposed to it, and all of a sudden, a light goes on, and that which you've been seeking for years, you, the light goes on and you see, there, that's what I've been looking for, or that answers my question. It satisfies our deepest desire. And ready? It will bring nourishment to our inner man deep down inside. We are trained in the good old United States of America to totally ignore our inner man for the most part. Everything that we do ignores that. 
hasn't always been that way. Actually, right now when we read about previous cultures that were very much in tune to their inner man, we think they were kooky. They would look at us as thinking, you guys aren't experiencing life because we live very superficially. We do everything that we can get our mind around rather than engaging our heart. And I'm going to tell you that when God breathed the breath of life into everybody in the room, we were made in his image, and that means we became a spiritual being with a spirit inside of us. That's what I'm talking about in our inner man. I'm going to tell you there's only one thing that will satisfy our inner man and bring nourishment to him, and that's the truth and the life and the wisdom of God. There is nothing else. He can't feed on, on worldly things. It leaves him sick, dissatisfied, malnourished. The only way that can maintain life in our inner man is if he receives spiritual food, the life, the truth, and the wisdom of God. I'm going to tell you this right now too. God guarantees. He said it. He guaranteed it. He said it will produce. It will achieve. God guarantees that if we will ingest the truths, the wisdom, and the life that's contained in the pages of the Bible, it will accomplish all that he desires It'll fulfill the purpose for which he sent it forth and it will meet our deepest and long, longings and needs and it will answer the questions that we have that plague us as human beings. It will do that. But like anything else, they're just words on a page or profound truths that sit here until we do what? Until we take them in and start doing the things it says. So I want to close with this this morning, going back again. What is your inner man longing for? What's he anticipating? What's he seeking after? What's he desiring? We say, I know sometimes my inner man is seeking after things that aren't of the Lord. He's actually trying to fill a void in there. There's something it's trying to get, and I'm going to tell you there's only one thing that satisfies it, and it's the truth and the wisdom and the life that's found in the Word of God. And so the only thing I can tell you at this point is to take it and to eat it, if you will, spiritually speaking. Take it and bring it in. Because God said what? We'll go back again. Those things that you take in, the truths, the wisdom, the life, it's living. It's active. And he's guaranteed that those things do not come into our body, our spirit man, and then exit our spirit man without accomplishing the purposes. There's nothing I know of in the world that has that kind of guarantee. Basically what God is saying to each and every one of us this morning is that if we will take his word in, and I'm not just saying reading it, because I know I can read my Bible and have no idea what I just read. There's other times I can read two words or three words or four words and a truth just catches me and it goes down inside. When that's the part I'm talking about, when that kind of truth and that wisdom comes into me, but God says it will always accomplish the purposes that I set forth for it. And God's, God's purposes for those things is to do what? To set us on a right path, to meet the needs of our heart, to help us to walk in fellowship, to have life with him and all those things. But there is ownership on our part. We can have something that's living and active, but until we embrace it, until we ingest it, until we take those truths in, it does not have that effect. It's ready to have that effect, but there's a part that we've got to do something with it. Just like my pill at home. If they sit in a little pill bottle, I'm pretty sure, because it's happened any other time 
since I got my first clot, if I am off of that medication for a certain period of time, I'll develop another clot. So I'm assuming that if I chose not to take my pills or I forgot to take the pills for several days in a row, I run the risk. And likely if I did that long enough, I'd, I'd have a clot again where I'd have to go to the hospital and they'd have to do all the testing and all the things to get it back again. Where if I will just remember and be disciplined to take my pills, and since I take my pills, I have not had a clot. No problems at all. And there's a lot of truth in that as far as the board is concerned. If I would be disciplined to do that, it's amazing what God's word will do in me and the fruit it will produce. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again for these, the short phrases that are packed with information. Lord, that you saw fit to see to it that we have these words of wisdom and life and truth as found in the Bible. And Lord, I pray that we would have the self-discipline, the hunger and the desire, that we would be in tune enough to our spirit man to be driven to take those words and the, 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 the words of truth and life and wisdom as found in your word and take them in, ingest them, to mull over them, to let them become a part of us. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and rec recognize again that you've promised and you said with a guarantee that they will accomplish the things that you set forth. And it's not all about the things that they do for you because you wrote them and put them there for our benefit because you knew the part of us that's created in your image that it needs those life-giving words. It needs that spiritual truth and it needs spiritual wisdom to, 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 to succeed and move on. And so Lord, I pray that you would overcome the noise of our world, that you would overcome the things that keep us distracted from seeing what's going on in our deep, deepest part of our heart, in our inner man. Help us to be focused on that enough. And the Lord, help us to, to, to experience the wonder and the mystery and the magic of like an animation when we take those words in and a part of us that felt dead before springs to life. When you quicken our heart, when you quicken our spirit and things come to life, Lord, that's what your intention is, that's what your desire is, that's what you want for us. Lord, help us to cooperate with you in that. We thank you, Lord, that, that, it's, it's, that, 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 that it will happen if we walk in these things. We just thank you.